And welcome back to the quarantine edition of Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden, and tonight we have a very special guest. Uh, Caitlin Bassett has been added to the ABC Discovers Talent Showcase recently. Uh, she's a military veteran, and she's here to tell us about her experiences with the showcase and in the service. Uh, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Great to have you tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's great to be here. So tell us about the ABC Discovers Talent Showcase. This is really exciting. It is, yeah. So um, it's it's just it's such a great initiative. It's um, ABC every year. Who's, who's the same? It's Disney, ABC and Disney Plus. Their their casting department every year um, looks for. I mean, they do a, a worldwide search really um, for. I think it's down. It's sixteen actors in New York, and I want to say twenty or twenty two in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, uh, Marcy Phillips, the head of ABC New York casting said that I think they had about fifteen to sixteen thousand people apply. Wow! Uh, so it's quite yeah they whittle it down quite a bunch. They, they it's a it's a bunch of rounds of callbacks, and eventually they fi- have their finalists, and those finalists go on to have a year long mentorship with their respective casting departments. Either it's ABC New York or ABC LA. They get to work with trainers, and they get to workshop pieces and it's just it's such a wonderful opportunity and then of course they get to network and work with each other and meet other actors that are kind of trying to make it happen in their respective cities so it's, it's such a great opportunity and I just feel so blessed and, and lucky and thankful that, to be part of it this year. Like I said, best of luck to you with this and everything. I'm, I'm you know, very, very happy to hear one of my fellow uh, management company mates has, you know, gone on to this. It's just such a very it's an ex- exciting thing, and I'm really uh, glad to hear it. You've been with CPM Talent Management now just about a year, and before that, you had been in the service. Thank you for your service, by the way. We all oh, appreciate people like you willing to do these things for our country. It's something you know I that has always had my admiration, and uh, you know, again, I, you have my thanks for that. Tell us about, Thank I you. guess, uh, what you did in the service. I was uh, an analyst. So I was an intelligence analyst. So I, I was in for about seven years, mm-hmm. and I was everywhere. You know, I went to I went to basic training in Missouri, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I went to my AIT, which was my job training down in Texas. Mm-hmm. Spent about nine months there, ten months there, and then my first duty station was actually Hawaii, which you know, tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty rough out there. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was really wonderful, and you know, I had a really great seven years. I deployed uh, three times, twice to Afghanistan, once to uh, Qatar, stationed in Maryland. I was in, spent some time in Arizona, so I, I really got to travel a lot. I got to learn a lot. The military is one of those uh, situations where it takes a lot, but it, it it can also give a lot as well. Oh, I'm um, sure. I'm and I, sure. I I feel very grateful for the opportunity to have served and to have met the people that I met and learned the things that I learned. Well, that's great. Yeah, you know, we, you have our thanks and you have our um, appreciation for doing this. You know, the, the military, you know, from what I understand, again, I, I had never been in there, but the experience alone is just worth, you know, it's it's priceless. You know, the things that you learn and the things that you see and everything, and it would be a good experience for just about anybody. Great variety of experiences and things that you get to have in there. It could kind of help you make a decision as to which direction you would like your life to go in. Yeah, I think it can. I absolutely think it can. I think you're right when it comes to, you know, um, just writ large, we expect our young our young people to know 
so quickly what they want to do. Um, and if they don't know that, then, then they better have a good amount of money to figure it out because it's quite expensive, you know, to go to college and then change majors and do all those things. So, Mm -hmm. and I wasn't in a position to, to do that when I was 18 years old. So at least in my situation, I can't speak for everybody, of course, but it was, it was really invaluable in the fact that, I mean, the military is why, I paid my for my undergraduate through the military. I actually went to law school for for a couple of years before I finally made the plunge into acting. Is that um, right? The military paid for law school, and then when I finally decided, you know what, I I want to do, I want to act. This is it. This is the thing for me. <laughs> it paid for my conservatory, my acting conservatory. So, I, I mean, I can't. I'm 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 so blessed. I'm so lucky that I got to change my mind because what? there's just without without incurring a hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan debt, you know, which is what a lot of, a lot of young people have to do. And then it gave me the opportunity to, in some way, take risks because Mm -hmm. I could take the plunge and, and make the, the leap into a career that, you know, there's absolutely no guarantees. And then, and it also takes quite a while sometimes to, to, to start making real money out of, out of acting in general. And because I wasn't saddled with that that kind of debt, I, I could, you know. So I'm like I said, I'm, I'm I'm very I'm very blessed. That's a great thing. That's a that's a great thing right there. So you would actually go into law school for a while. Is that where where were you going to law school? Uh, I did. I went to Brooklyn Law School. Oh, okay. I yeah. When I so I, man, I don't know. Maybe I, I I always knew I wanted to get my degree. I didn't. I I had never joined the military planning to stay forever. Mm-hmm. But I joined, and I, you know, I was I was training for a couple of years, and then it was after my first deployment to Afghanistan. I came back, and I was twenty one years old, mm-hmm. which seems so young now. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we, it's kids; they're kids over there. They're really young. But I came back, and I realized that I didn't want to spend my GI Bill money on an undergraduate degree. That I wanted some more options, so I started taking classes online and 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 at night. So. Even while I was deployed, sometimes I would I would take classes when I could, and then I, I got my degree in legal studies. And so my idea when leaving the military, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to law school. I think that's it. It always interested me. I was argumentative as a child, so my parents <laughs> suggested it. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to go to law school. So I went to law school, and I had options. So I had gotten into law schools in New York. Uh, city and then DC mm-hmm. and you know I'm from around the, the Maryland area as are you and so kind of while I was deciding between the two of them I I had been theatrical and very creative as a kid you know and I, I rode and I you know I knew there was a, there was a big part of me that wasn't being utilized at all in the military and not really in my my studies as well and so when I was deciding where to go to law school, I came to New York on purpose because I wanted to go to, to a city where I could explore creative things as well. Not that D.C. doesn't have that. Of course it does, but it's not known for it. Right. So I came to New York, and that's exactly what I did. And while I was in law school, I was kind of moonlighting as a theater student at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right, right. And I was I wasn't telling my law school friends, and I was taking all these classes, and I was making all these friends, and they were theater people, and they were weird, and they were (laughs) gregarious, you know, like, they were just the best people, Mm -hmm. and 
from coming from a world which again for for all the all that the military gave me and i cannot understate what it gave me it gave me options and options is something that is the most fundamental thing that young people need but for everything it, it did give me you know it's the military you wear a uniform you fit in a box you you do your job you stay in your lane and so as when i got to law school which is similar in some ways obviously it's it's there's a lot of it, it, it's different but the law is, as they say, you know, black. There's black, white, and shades of gray, but it's not very colorful. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was moonlighting. My my secret second life was this theater life <laughs> at night. <laughs> and eventually, I um I was offered a spot at the Stella Adler Studios full time conservatory. Oh, hello. And that's when I, yeah, and that's when I kind of had to make a decision. And it was like, well, because the GI Bill, crazily enough, was going to pay. It, it paid for it. There was they they accepted it, so mm. I had to kind of sit down with myself and with my friends and family, and just finally admit to myself and my life that I I really wanted to do this thing, mm. and it was where I wanted to be. It was what I wanted to devote my life to, and it was the first thing that had made me so excited to go somewhere. You know, I I, I my, the best parts of my week was always when I was going to my acting classes, and I just decided that even if I wasn't going to make a lot of money. I wanted a life that I was excited to wake up for every day. Um, yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, with you that. know, I agree with you on that. Um, you know, if they say uh, there's always that old saying out there that if you find something that you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And uh, exactly, that, that's very true. You know, I, I kind of had a similar, um, well, not really a similar situation, but there are some interesting, um, some things uh, between the way. You know, I went about you know my education and everything um, that you did uh, too. You know, um, I ended up taking a longer time to get my degree uh, because I worked um, during the day yeah. and at night. Um, when I started college, I was the reason that they made Animal House movies, and um, <laughs> it took me. Um, and after you know my first year, when I made it through spring clearance, but but not by much. Um, I ended up going uh, and working full time and going at night, and um, having the experience of working real jobs and actually seeing the things that I'm studying in school because I took business, you know, in action. It, it was definitely, you know, it was definitely a benefit and everything. And I'd always played in bands. That's really where I came from is music. I wasn't always an actor. Nice. Yeah, I, I played music and. Um, and you grew up in Maryland as well. You know, you know. Um, I played a lot of clubs in Baltimore, D.C., um, Virginia, um, New Jersey, New York, you know, all over the place. You know, so I was still doing that um, as well as working on a degree and uh, doing all kinds of things. And um, I have to say I was a very busy person. I never saw an episode of Seinfeld until it was actually off the air. <laughs> During that era. I was busy too. Yeah, that, that's what my, you know, my younger years were like and everything. And I'd stopped performing for a while. I'd started again about 15 years ago and then um, got into acting. And then I you know, eventually found my wife. And then through my wife, I found George Ann. But, nice. But yeah, having all these experiences and everything. Now, you said you grew up in Howard County, Maryland, which is kind of like, that's kind of like the midway between Baltimore and D.C. Did you- it is, yes. Yep, and uh, you said that you had, um, you know, grown up doing, I guess, some performing as a kid, right? Not a lot, but some. Yeah, well, I was a, I was a singer, 
Okay. Uh, so I, I, I trained with the Peabody uh, Choir in wow. Baltimore. Hello. Welcome yeah. to the pros there, my friend. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's that's good stuff right there, Peabody. You know, That's a big deal. Yeah. I, I mean, I was in their youth programs, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was in middle school and, and things like that. I, I, was, I did a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. I did some musicals. Um, I got out of it a bit in high school more for personal stuff. There was just kind of stuff going on in my life that mm-hmm. wasn't really allowing for um, a lot of creative space. The same, st- you know, another reason that I, I kind of headed off to the military instead of mm-hmm. staying around. But yeah, I did. I, um, I, 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 was, I was quite creative as a child mm-hmm. and did, uh, and you know, loved to perform, loved to sing, loved music. I, I played the trumpet for a long time. So, you know, those types of things oh. were a big part of my life mm-hmm. at one point. And then for reasons, and I think, you know, as we as we go through life, mm-hmm. sometimes certain things just aren't possible, and I didn't have a lot of room in my life for creative space for a long time. So Me then, either. when Me I either. when I had it again, or I didn't really have it in New York, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to Afghanistan every other year or every uh, every year. You know what I mean? So I just like it was around, and it was New York, and everybody wears weird clothes, and everybody's so <laughs> cool, and everybody's a an actor, a singer, mm-hmm. they do go to poetry slams. And, like, you know, just being in New York itself is, it changes you. It, it, it makes it makes things seem possible that didn't seem possible before because people can do it here, mm-hmm. you know? And so had I gone to D.C., I don't think we'd, we would be in this conversation. I think I, I probably would have finished law school. Uh, went back and worked for the same government agencies that I had worked for in the military, just mm-hmm. as a lawyer, you know. Right, and right. and not that there's anything wrong with that. That's a wonderful life if that's what you want. But mm-hmm. we all get on paths sometimes, and to get off a path, especially as you move down the road, is is scary, and and you take risks. But I I, I ended up doing it, and I I, I credit New York City for that <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. I agree with you about New York City. Um, you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, because I'm that old, you know, I used to play, um, it was it was a big deal when a band from this area got a chance to go up there and showcase. I'd got yeah. the opportunity back then to play at CBGB's a number of times, a couple of other places too. And I mean, when you get up there, it, it's, you know, it's inspiring. It makes you realize that there's a lot more out there now, the Baltimore music scene back in those days was a lot better than it is now. There were, yeah. a, there were a lot of places to play back then that were actually decent. You know, a lot of talented people and everything. And, and I would yeah. say the same thing about D.C. back then, because I used to play the old 930 Club and the Bayou and, like, the 15-Minute Club and a couple of other places. Um, but, you know, to, to go to a place like that that's a major entertainment center, and actually, even mm-hmm. you know, when I go up there now for auditions and things like that, you know, it's inspiring. You know, it's like I, I look around and I'm like, Man, here we are, here we are. Yeah. This is, you know, this is it right here, and it inspires me to want to do better. You know, it inspires me to want to do better and have oh, shops and everything. You know, um, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I also think that there's a mentality that you can be, you're allowed to change in New York. With, I think changing is one of the hardest things to do anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but in New York, you, you can reinvent yourself you can. as many times as you like. 
Um, and it's encouraged and it's understood. And, you know, when I was finally started admitting to my friends that I was, I was, my secret dirty life was that that of of an actor. Um, like I expected, and maybe it was just internalized fear or maybe it was internalized, like, you know, you are supposed to be a lawyer. You are supposed to have a good job and be a responsible adult. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But I was terrified to tell people. And then when I told people in New York, everybody was like, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, do it. You know, it was just, it was not a big deal. Right. Where other places it might have been more of a big deal or, you know, maybe I'm not giving people the benefit of the doubt enough. But um, it was really, it was encouraging for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's encouraging, you know, that everybody's there for the same thing. You know, they're all up there to do it. You know, this is, and it's one of the best places to do what it is that you're doing because, um, you're not in front of forgiving audiences up there and uh, you're not not at all. You are not at all. Um, um, believe me, we used to rehearse like crazy before we played up there. Now, now we did find that the audiences were receptive up there because we had our chops together when we went into play uh, but we did see a number of out-of-town bands up there that went up there and completely fell on their faces in front of that crowd, you know. I'm sure. I mean, they weren't forgiving, but if you had your act together, it was a really rewarding experience. And the same could have been said about D.C., too. The, the one thing I always liked about D.C. And, and New York was the fact that they were a lot more open to originality than Baltimore was. Um, again, not that Baltimore was an untalented place or anything like that, but a lot of the bands were playing the same old cover songs in the same old yeah. bars from time again, over and over. And there's and you, you go out and you see some of the same people now playing, and they're still doing the same cover songs they were doing 30 years ago. Um, yeah. You know, New York and D.C. had a much more of a uh, appreciation for originality, and that's why we really thrived a lot more in those markets than um, around here in Baltimore, you know. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, maybe if you performed around here too, you'd probably agree with that assessment. Yeah, probably. I mean, obviously music and theater are different um, yeah. mediums, mm-hmm. but I, I, all I can say is that I do know that a New York audience, it's a pretty brave audience. I have gone yeah. to some weird New York theater and weird <laughs> New York art. You know what I mean? It is weird. It's weird sounds. It's weird, uh, you know, it's immersive. The actors are behind. Like, it's just, but, you know, in New York, you're kind of game. You know, you're warned that, like, this is going to be kind of crazy. But it always ends up being kind of cool, you know? So mm-hmm. it's a it's a very brave... I mean, that's, I mean the, the tragedy of COVID at this point is that that's the, the best part of be, about being in New York is that you get to play in all these weird little holes, like hole-in-the-wall places that end up having really cool theater and really talented people, and all that's obviously mm-hmm. closed right now, but it'll come back. It'll, you know, New York, it's part of New York's DNA, it the, is, the, it is. That kind of theater. It is. I was just talking about this the other day in another episode of this. I, you know, I had a you know, different guest on and everything. Um, but, you know, outside of, you know, acting you know, with George Ann and doing, you know, the television and the uh, commercials and things like that, I've gotten through CPM talent management. I also run a murder mystery company. And we... <laughs> We completely. That's so cool. Thank you, thank you. We're called the Foul Players of Perryville, 
And uh, this is the official podcast of the Foul Players. Yes, 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 of course. Foul Players Radio. And this year has been a complete wash because where we perform is on trains, riverboats, and in, you know, small, you know, vineyards and things like that. And there's just really no way we can yeah. social distance. There's no way uh, we, we can't perform in masks. And these train cars, with as close as everybody is together, are just Petri dishes on wheels. So I've made a vow to all of my company members, and I've got about 15, 20 people that are my regulars uh, that do different venues with me. You know, I said, we will rise from the ashes. You know, we will rise from the ashes, and we're going to be even better. And we're going to be even better. And you know what? I really think theater is going to come back with a vengeance once we get the clear and the go-ahead to do so, you know, once... Uh, oh, I mean, every, every theater actor I know is doing nothing but writing and, yep. write, like, workshopping their stuff over Zoom. I mean, you can't stop these people. Bingo. Bingo. People, people can say what they want about actors. That is the most tenacious, mm-hmm. just grittiest, grindiest group of people, especially New York. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, it's not a L.A. New York thing. Sorry. Sorry, L.A. But, like, New York artists are just hungry, and mm-hmm. they are writing. They are making theater. I know people working on device, or, like, you know, fe- like, weird theater places, like, just in a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just, and they'll just do, it's crazy what people, like, are willing to do. And, again, because in New York, you have this very brave group of people willing to watch this stuff yeah yeah uh, it's gonna, you're right it's gonna come back it's gonna come back with a vengeance for sure it is people are hungry people are itching to go and i tell you another thing too is that people once people feel safe going out again and sitting in a theater they're gonna be, right. these places are gonna be packed these places yeah are gonna and be which packed. is obviously it's part of kind of what we have to ward against because mm-hmm. You know, right now, obviously, that's not the safest thing to do. No, it is. So you have to have... But, you know, I already know... I know of people that are going to be putting on plays that are going to be... They're basically setting them up like a um, like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Like a three-camera sitcom, and they'll record it so you can watch it kind of like... Uh, obviously, not as well-produced, but like what, ha- what Hamilton just did on Disney+. Plus. Like, you'll be able to watch live... It'll be a live theater performance just kind of taped. And I, I, you know, it's coming. People are just too cool. Artists are just too cool, and they're too smart, and they're going to figure it out. So, yeah, I'm excited, because not only is are they going to figure it out, but it's going to be in a very cool way. It is. You know, I mean, look, to get back to the showcase for a second, like, look at what we're doing. This mm-hmm. is generally what happens is the 16 actors in New York and the 20 actors or whatever in Los Angeles, they, they you know, they, they, they rehearse their scenes, they come in and they work together. And then they, they do a, a, a showcase, a night, a live night of theater, essentially, that you're doing these scenes with these scene partners and full dress and everything like that. And we can't do that this year, obviously. So we've already been sent classes. We're going to start taking a class next week, and it's going to be online. And, you know, it's just we're all going to take online Zoom classes. The fact that we could audition, all the, all the callbacks and stuff, they weren't self-tapes. The first couple rounds were tapes, mm-hmm. but all the rest of them were live like Zoom auditions. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, they used a different platform. They didn't use Zoom. But so this, you know, what people are already figuring out that is possible. Mm-hmm. People, you know, there's starting to be castings that are going out and it's all self-tapes and um, live callbacks. It's, people are already figuring it out. We're going to, we're going to pre-record, you know, they're going to mm-hmm. send us 
equipment and we're going to pre-record this stuff and we're going to get, you know, we're going to make it happen. We're, yes, yeah. And, and that's coming from, you know, ABC Disney all the way down to the scrappiest unsigned actor in New York City. You yep. know, everyone is going to find their way to figure it out. And I, I'm very excited. It makes me so proud of, 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 of the career I've chosen. And, and I've got to tell you, and I'm sure you know this too, the best part about being an actor and being in this industry so far is the people. It is. They're the, it the, is. the best people. It is. You know, it, it, and it, the thing that's interesting, too, is that, you know, having been a musician for all these years, I mean, I, I can kind of look at um, both areas of entertainment. You know, there are some interesting parallels, but there are some pretty stark differences, too. In acting, I find that the people are a lot nicer. You know, you're not, you know, you're not, and especially, too, when, you know, the heyday when I was playing in the 80s and 90s, when, you know, egos were just, like, out of control and completely... Uh, yeah. Ego was so huge back then. I find that people in theater are a lot more, um, not necessarily down to earth, but a little, a lot more friendly. It, it feels more like a family environment, especially when you're in a group that's performing a play, like a a cast, yeah, a or company like that, or, or a company, right? You know, in bands, it's something. I mean, it, but the Baltimore area was a little more of like a friars club atmosphere. But I found like a lot of bands, you know, out of state and everything, will cut your throat in a heartbeat. You know, they don't let you use the PA when you're like if you're opening for somebody. You know, they'll cut your throat. They'll make you try to make you look bad. They'll give you like two inches on stage to stand if you're opening for them and stuff like that. And I don't find that kind of mentality in theater at all. Yeah, I see in theater and in acting that, you know, they're trying to make the show good for everybody. Because if one act suffers, if one act suffers, then the whole show ends up, you know, going down the pot. I mean, that's just, you know, one thing that I've really noticed. And and there's a number of other things, too. But, um, but, you know. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's probably for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them is just like you said, the, 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 what, what, what is happening when a musician is performing is not what is happening when theater artists are putting out a play. Mm-hmm. When, when we're putting out a play, we're asking you to accept that what is happening in front of you is, is happening. We're asking you to suspend reality, mm-hmm. um, which requires you to, 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 to release your current situation, you know, mm-hmm. where at a music show, you're getting drinks, you're talking to your people, you're making out with the girl or guy you came with, you know, like, <laughs> you're doing, <laughs> yeah. you're doing all these different things, um, and then, and, and yeah, it's, you know, you need everybody to be working at top capacity mm-hmm. for, for us to pull off the impossible, right, which right. is to make a group of sane human beings believe what we're selling up there. You know, like mm-hmm. believe that this is happening in front of them and actually be moved by it and touched by it. And um, and it happens all the time, even though it should be impossible. So you need safety in that. Now, of course, there's of course there's personalities. Of course, there's fights. Of course, there's arguments. Of course, there's divas. Um, of course, there's just unhelpful cast members and like that always happens, unfortunately, but um, it's really hard to go up in front of a bunch of people and just expose your whole self when mm-hmm. there's a lot of really nasty competition between the, you, you know, you can't lose that entirely. Right. right. Um, and so I, I understand because you're not the first person I've heard that from. And I, under, I, I understand 
kind of how that happens. But it is sad. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. Um, and and I, I can tell you some actually you know, some really funny stories about my hair band days um, with people's <laughs> e- <laughs> with people's egos and things like that, and, and and people just you know trying to pretend that there's something they're not. You know, I, I've told a lot of these stories on the show, but I'll share one. I'll, I'll share like a huge ego story with you real quick here. I mean, because this, again, yeah. this, show, this show's about you. It's not about me. No, I, it's about the art. Let's talk. Okay, okay. I'll tell you. So, um, in the, oh, this was around 90 or 91. And it was right when the L.A. hairband thing was starting to lose popularity. And if you're listening to this for the 50th time at home, folks, this is when you can go to the bathroom and come back. So, because uh, <laughs> you know this story well. So it was around 90, 91. Uh, we were at the Rage in downtown Baltimore, and we were playing. And we were not a hair band. We were kind of close to, uh, I guess the band I was in at the time was kind of like the cult, you know, the cult thing. So a guy comes in. He was probably about five foot, what did I say? He was like five foot two, but six foot three with his hair. Um, he had, <laughs> you remember those days, right? He had this spandex on. He had a... Uh, uh, a handcuff belt. He had the Seinfeld puffy shirt, and his girlfriend was dressed just like him, except she had a mini skirt. You probably, you really couldn't tell them apart, you know, because the makeup and everything. Um, so we're sitting at the bar, and we were waiting to go on later. And he comes over, and he's like, "Hey guys, are you guys like in a bond?" And, uh-huh. and we're like, "Yeah." And he says, well, oh, "I've been in lots of bonds, and I've played here and there, and..." out of state and in New York, and he goes, you know, I'm from L.A., and his girlfriend looks at him, and she goes, you are not, you're from Pittsburgh, and, and, he, and he goes, yeah, well, look at me, I should be from L.A., and we're like, okay, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show you how, you know, where vanity and ego got you back in those days, you know? Yeah, of course, I mean, yes, it, of course, and let's be real, it, that, that hasn't gone away. It's probably just morphed into something else. It, it has. It has. It, it, you're, you're absolutely right about that. So how about, have you had any, um, you know, one thing I kind of like to get to on the show too, which is kind of fun, is disaster stories. Um, have you had anything, ever had anything go absolutely horribly wrong on stage or anything like that I before? I did. And the, the, okay, so I wasn't actually on. I was backstage. Uh-huh. This wasn't me, but the girl going on, I was helped. So she had so many ch- changes, mm-hmm. so many changes. She was wearing all these phenomenal dresses. I felt so terrible. It was like the second to last scene, and she had to wear this like gorgeous black sexy number, and it was all strappy and beautiful. And we're backstage, and we couldn't get the zipper to zip, mm-hmm. oh, and no. we just, we, like, we couldn't. We couldn't get the dress on her. We couldn't do it. Like, mm. we're trying, every, everybody's trying to, to, to get the zipper up, and it's just, and, you know, people are waiting, and we hear the audience kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and we, we just can't do it, and we're like, what are we going to do? So she had to go on. We, she had to go on with it, like, basically almost all the way unzipped, oh, and she geez. was just kind of holding her costume on. And mm. I just felt, it was, she was in tears, I was in tears, everybody was just, because then we got her off stage and got her into a new dress and it was fine, but it was just a dis, 
disaster. And I, it was just one of those moments where, like, it was definitely a learning moment because at the end of the day, if you can't get your costume on, the audience can wait. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, the... Uh, it's just, it was one of those moments where, like, <laughs> a decision... Like four decisions were made that shouldn't be shouldn't mm-hmm. have been made, and she went on with like half dressed, mm-hmm. and it was just a disaster. Okay. But you know, we finished the show and it was okay. But yeah, that was that was a rough day. It always seemed like, and and, and that was one thing that I had always it kind of had bouncing around in my head a lot of times, having been in you know, a number of theater shows over the years and. I mean, not only in a lot of the productions I was in, not only did you have to get props on and off the stage, but sometimes you had to change in the wings. And the one theater that I did a lot of, it was up in Cockeysville. I don't know if you ever heard of Baltimore Actors Theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was up in Co- up in Hunt Valley, and that was a theater that was in the round. It wasn't a chrysanthemum, you know, like a regular yeah. stage. It was in the round. So we had kind of like, um, you had the, the theater on the floor, around it you had the tables, and they were kind of tiered. And then behind those, there was a wall, and there was like a tunnel back there where we would change and wait to make our entrances and everything. And there were just so many times where I was like, you know, if I could actually sew, I could figure out a way where we could just, you know, this person leaves the stage, we could just like use Velcro and zippers and just rip that thing off of them and throw this on them real quick and zip it up and have them back out in like a fraction of the time it normally takes because there were so many times when you know, it took a little bit longer to get the props off the stage and the accompanist is sitting there playing the musical interlude in between scenes, and you're just like, oh, God. And this, when something goes wrong, because there was a couple of times I had to help people get dressed, and it was pitch black. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I've definitely done that. And oh. you're, like, putting their clothes on and their yeah. shoes on and stuff, and, yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, and here's something that's happened a number of times, too. And this, it wasn't only me that this happened to. Um we were doing uh, Phantom of the Opera, and there's oh, such the, a good show. Uh, yes, and this it was a little bit different because actually Baltimore Actors Theater had a version that they wrote like I think like in the seventies sometime that it wasn't the same music as what we know now on Broadway and everything. This was like their own show, like same story, different music and everything, and dialogue was a bit different. So there was a uh, fellow playing the Phantom. And I had to yeah. change him from his regular phantom outfit into Red Death. And uh, part of the costume was like this rubber skeleton mask that he had to put on. And, you know, the hat and the cape and the clothes and everything. And so he was backstage and it was absolutely pitch black. There was no light back there. And I was, yeah. kind of, I was trying to do the best I could. You know, there was like a little bit of light leaking back from the stage, you know, and but what turned out happening when we put the mask on him, the mask ended up, instead of looking through the eyes, we didn't have the mask on all the way, so the mouth was lined up with his eyes, and when he looked out on stage, he looked like he was looking up in the air, so (laughs) he walked out on stage. It was like he was looking up in the air, and then all the other characters on stage started looking up in the air, too. <laughs> and, 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 oh, that's an actor that is very tuned in. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And there had been numerous runs of that over the years, and I had spoken to other people that had played that part. That it, it had happened to them too. Um, it was just one of those things where you end up just kind of laughing it off again, right? You know, but uh, it was just one of those things that happens. You just gotta kind of go with it. You know, you just have to kind of go with it. Yeah. 
Yep. And, uh, you know, in playing in bands, I've also had spinal tap moments and things like that over the years where things have gone absolutely terrible on stage. And, you know, this has happened and that's happened. And I've told my stories about bad auditions and nuts people that have come down to uh, <laughs> try out and everything. It's just, ugh. I tell you, it's a, it's a crazy business this is here, you know. And, it is. It yeah. is. But it's exciting. It really is. It really is. It's similar to um. It's uh. There's a. There's. I don't know who's the first person to say it or when, but it, it always floats around with the military. Like being deployed is is a bunch of long stretches of of boredom, mm-hmm. interrupted by short stretches of like complete terror. And I feel like that's what acting is. <laughs> it yeah yeah it is it really you get, is. You, you know you might not hear anything. For a while, you know, you don't hear mm-hmm. from your manager or agent or whatever, and then all of a sudden you have like huge auditions, and, it, and it's a big deal, and you have to get everything together. And mm-hmm. Yep, that's the uh, that's the game. It is <laughs> the life we chose. It is it, it is the life we've chosen and everything, and and um and the other thing too, you know, I, I also work a day job as well. You know, I have a you know mm-hmm. full time job, and you know juggling that with you know I, I do have uh, I am blessed that I have a lot of flexibility. Uh, or else I never would have signed the contract with CPM Talent Management if I didn't have it, you know. Of course. But I do have the flexibility where I can go do these auditions. I just need, and with the time, you know, that you're given isn't always the most, but I've always been able to make it happen. It, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 it's a balance. It's a struggle because it takes a long time, if ever. I know plenty of actors, working actors, actors that are on television mm-hmm. that, you know, it still isn't going to completely sustain them. They've got to find other things. Mm-hmm. And there's always a balance between lifestyle and, you know, what What do you, how do you want to live? What kind of money do you need to make that happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can you make that money in a way that, that, that sits with your lifestyle? And I think that's another reason why actors are so great because they, they're all types of people. Oh, yeah. From, yeah. you know. They have, they hold all sorts of jobs. They have they come from all sorts of backgrounds, and they figure it out. They're scrappy. They are. They are. They're very creative and scrappy. Always finding ways to support themselves. Because the thing is that I the, the thing is it's a lot of people think that just because you're on a national TV show that you're rich all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> and um, right, or, no, or that you know that's the, not what that means at all. No, it isn't. Uh, it isn't. And, yeah, no, there's absolutely not. Right, right, and then like, and, and then if you're on there with somebody who's a big star, all of a sudden you guys are like hanging out, and you're like lifelong yeah. pals now, and everything too. It's, it's just, right. like, you know, it's just like when you go to work and you know you meet people. I mean, of course you're cordial and you're friendly and everything, but it's not like um, you know you, you just you know after that you just call them up and chew the fat anytime you want, and you know uh, yeah, you're not besties and uh, vacation together and all that other stuff. It's 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 not right. like that at all. It's not like that at all. Yeah, I have made friends in on the shows that I've been on and everything here, but it's it's not like all of a sudden you're part of the uh, showbiz elite or anything like that. You know, I mean, you still have to you know, constantly go back and prove yourself time and time again and everything. I have to say this has been a blessing for me, getting the opportunity to, you know, work with George Ann and, you know, CPM Talent Management, you know, as well as being able to do my own things, too. And, and again, you know, you know the, the people I've gotten to meet, you know, doing this, the people I've gotten to work with, you know, we had a lot of fun last year. You know, my murder mystery company also got a contract to do the Polar Express on the Western Maryland Scenic Railroad. You know Cumberland, right? Yeah, of course. 
we were we, we got the contract to do it. It was um, a big production between you know Thanksgiving and right after Christmas or right before Christmas. And one of the times we did it, we all got to meet Eddie Deason, who was an actor. Um, if you've ever seen Grease, he played the uh, character Eugene. Um, if you ever saw 1941, he was the guy up on the Ferris wheel with the mannequin. I've guaranteed if you've seen any 80s movie that had a nerd in it, you know who I'm talking about. And uh, he played the he played uh, he did the voice of the uh, know it all kid in Polar Express, and we all got to meet him. And I tell you one thing, you know, you want to talk about a person, a human being who is just as sweet as pie. Yeah, just as down to earth and just as friendly as somebody can be. It's somebody like that, and. If anything ever really big happens with me in this, he's the kind of person I'm going to learn my lesson on on how to be. Right. Because he's just the mo- one of the most con- kind, sincere, friendly people I've ever met. And, you know, he's had a lot of success and everything, but he just doesn't let it go to his head. You know, he's, he's very, very down to earth and very level with people. That's lovely. Yeah. I, that's just so, yeah. And exactly. Yep. You just have good humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, in every industry, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I knew people in acting school that were divas, right? Mm-hmm. That's not because they had they had attained some level of success. They were just divas. Right, and right, then right. there's people who are, you know, making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year, and they're just the kindest, most humble people in the world. It's not necessarily a success thing. It's right. generally a them thing. You want to hear another diva story? I'm not going to mention names or anything like that, but there was <laughs> there was somebody that we worked with in theater around here who um, would tell people that she performed on Broadway. And everybody's like, "What? Well, she performed on Broadway?" Well, we know what the truth was was that um, she was at a, a fundraiser. One of those it was like I guess kind of like a formal uh, black tie fundraiser. And yeah. there was one of those, have you ever seen a blind auction before where they have things out that you can bid on and you sign your name and you put a bid on it and whoever bids the highest wins? Well, okay. one, one of the prizes at one of those things that she went to was um, getting a walk-on part in a Broadway show where, you know, she really wasn't anybody but part of the ensemble. Uh, but And her husband basically won the auction in order for her to get that part. So this was not anything done on her merits, but she goes, I was on Broadway, you know, like, I'm from LA. Oh, <laughs> oh babe. Yeah. I know, and it's, unfortunately, you know, especially in this career, and I think we all struggle with it to an extent, right, is that if you haven't, if you're not a series regular, if you aren't um, on Broadway, if you aren't in a big movie with a big star, you know, like, in this country in particular, and in, on this coast, I think it's a little different on the West Coast because people are more accustomed to it. Yeah. Um, but especially on this country, in this country and in this coast, uh, when people are like, I'm an actor, most people don't take that seriously. Most people are like, yeah, okay, so what are you, a bartender? Like, what, <laughs> what are you? Right, yeah. Um, and, and we're such a success-driven culture and society, and... There's a lot of pressure on us to, to kind of like prove that we are actors. Like, oh no, no, I'm not one of those actors. I'm a real actor because I've been on Broadway. Or I'm a real actor because I was a series regular. And at the end of the day, there's working actors that are making their money from acting or from acting plus supplementing mm-hmm. that are freaking phenomenal. Like 
the most talented actors I know are do you know off or off off Broadway theater like they're just so good and talented and have they you know would they be household names no mm-hmm. but they're absolutely actors and so I think it's a it's hard in this country and again on this coast because we're always we're always expected to prove that we're we're a real actor and so I mean I understand how people fall into that trap of you know, of, of kind of uh, massaging the truth a little bit. <laughs> so, right, right, right. So that people will take you seriously because it's, it, I know, I know from experience because I remembered what, I remembered what people looked at me like when I said, oh, you know, being a soldier and being like, I'm going to go to law school. People looked at me like something. They were like, oh, that's really respectable. That's really, you know. I understand that. I, I know that that's a good career path. You're going to probably make money. They kind of signed off on the idea of it. But then, um, for all those people that were really supportive in my New York friends, you know, there were other people, my family in particular, and not because they're bad people, just because they, they wanted me to be safe. When I told them that I was um, going to quit law school and become an actor, they the looks were different. Mm. You know, they, it wasn't wow, good for you, that's really a smart thing to do, <laughs> you know, the looks were like, um, okay, you know, so I, it's, it sucks, it sucks not to have people look at you like, like what you're doing is worth it, or, right. you know, so I understand it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying too, because, you know, my parents drilled that into me, you know, when I wanted, when I was a young man and playing music a lot, and especially when, um, they're like, you know, you better get yourself something to fall back on, because I, I mean, know. what I mean, what is entertainment? Something like a ninety percent unemployment rate at any given time, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. And, 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 and you definitely don't blame people for you know looking out, you know. And, and, and it's good, a good idea to have you know both, you know, something to fall back on as well as you know being able to pursue your craft too. Oh, of course. Yeah. Which is which is kind of what we were talking about earlier. I mean. Mm-hmm. Part of the job of, of somebody who wants to be in a creative field, whether that be painters, writers, poets, actors, whatever, um, musicians, sometimes the other part of that is to find yourself a way to make money that also feeds your soul and your heart and your lifestyle. Um, and there's also nothing wrong with admitting that you need a certain amount of money to live. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, there's, yeah. there's no, there's, like... The, the the trope of the martyred poor artist is is ridiculous like hmm. what just because these people want to do art they should be sentenced to this life like that's not fair you know like, but that's so that's so actors use they, they make money different ways like you have a day job and lots of people have day jobs or night jobs or weekend jobs or part-time jobs or seasonal jobs or remote jobs you know it's, it's, it's all part of the game it is, it is, you know, and um, I consider myself blessed to be where I am right now, you know, not only, you know, working with CPM, um, you know, with George Ann and everything, yeah. but um, I, I consider myself lucky that I even got it. Um, you know, my wife had been with uh, CPM for, you know, a number of years, and you know, I, I went to the audition, and I was like, there's no way in hell, there is absolutely no way in hell these people are going to want me. You know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to do, well, the thing is, it's, you know, when I was a young man, I got shot down by so many record companies and, you know, yeah. I just had so it many, gets, it, it gets in there. It does. It does. I was like, you know, I, I, I just kind of, 
you know, said to myself, okay, you're going to have success. You know, you're going to get to a certain level. Enjoy the level that you've gotten to and everything. I got in there and I was like, okay, you know, I, I was, I, I did get ready. I did prepare the things that she had asked me to prepare and I went and did it. And I was like, there's no way in hell. There's no way in hell. They're not going to want me, you know. Um, but she did. And all of a sudden I get, you know, an offer. And I was like, wow, what the hell happened? How did this happen? You know, <laughs> you know, how did this happen? You know, and you know, like I said, you know, I really, uh, you know, either, you know, I was just not putting my best foot forward or not doing my best performances or whatever, or people were overlooking it, or maybe I was just doing it in front of the wrong people. But I'm definitely grateful to CPM, you know, for giving me this chance, you know. And yeah, she was my, she was my first manager as well. I, 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 my, a girlfriend of mine that I worked at a, a restaurant with who had been with her for a number of years recommended me, and, and I, I, I got an audition. And mm-hmm. I mean, I was, look, I was, I, remember, I was shaking. I was terrified. Which is so funny now, because I'm, like, I love Georgianne, you know, like, at mm-hmm. this point, not that I don't respect her, because I respect the hell out of her, but, mm-hmm. um, I got, you know, I'm not scared of her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a big, and it's, and you're right, it's scary, it's scary to go in front of somebody and be like, this is me, do you want to work with me? Because that sucks, and, uh, but I'm so glad that she proved you wrong, because, yeah, and I think. I think that's a lesson for all of us. I mean, I can't say what the industry, especially the music industry, was like, but I think all of us have have dealt with our share of rejection, whether that be, you know, if you want to go really deep through, like, rejection of parents or, or you know, friends or lovers or jobs or, or careers or whatever. Um, you know, I think we've all dealt with it, and I think we all tend to underestimate ourselves. Um, when I... You know, when I was making the plunge, I was like, I'm, I, I started too late. You know, if women don't start, you know, really, really early, then they've already aged out. And, you know, there's always, it's so easy to tell yourself that you're not enough. But, like, I think it's a lot braver to just wonder if you are sometimes. Um, and so I'm really glad that you did it. And I'm glad that you realized that you're... I mean, obviously, you're wonderful, and you're wonderful to talk to, and you're, uh, you know, you have you have a lot to offer. I think, and I think everybody does. I think that's a lesson for everybody. That I thought I screwed up the last last round of this audition for ABC, and I was like, I even texted my family. I was like, well, that was a good experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no way, I got that. Right, um, right, but right. But sometimes you just need to shut up and try it mm-hmm. and see what happens. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> When I was a kid, um, talking about just rejection and you know, bouncing back and things like that, I was a kid. I was in a play that the recreational department had. Um, I got the lead. I was like, I guess about six years old, maybe. And I had it inside and out, up and down. I knew these lines. And in the middle of the play, you know, like some adult or some parent in the back of the room just yelled, Louder! We can't hear you! And it completely oh knocked gosh. me off shelter, and I completely lost my train of thought. So then after that, I was, I was like, the hell with this, I'm playing baseball. Um, so then a couple of years later, oh. in the third grade, a teacher, um, my third grade teacher had us do a project where we had to research old American folk songs. Uh, all of it, every kid um, had to go out, and we, we researched like some of the old spirituals and Yankee Doodle and all these old American songs. 
and then we would sing them. And the teacher, mm-hmm. the teacher comes to me and says, Michael, come here. Don't sing. Just move your mouth. And then um, I was like, okay. So we did the show, and I was up there just lip syncing. And my mother said, I couldn't hear you sing. I said, well, she told me not to sing. And you know, my mother ended up chewing her out over that. Um, then a number of years, number of years later, I played in the school band. You know, we had um, a clarinet in the family. I played that for a while, and then um, I really wanted to play sports. But you know, my mother and grandmother, everybody wanted me to do band, so I ended up doing both. But I went and auditioned um, at Calvert Hall, and um, I went in and I played for the music teacher, and he said, uh, you know, I got the perfect thing for you. He goes, I said, he goes, you're a nice tall boy. I want you to carry the banner in front of the band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um, I ended up going out for a play because I wanted to get girls, you know, and um, I saw a lot of girls in theater. So I didn't go out for one at my school, but I went out to, for one at one of the girls' schools. Uh-huh. I went and tried out for that, and I went in and read, and they said, um, you know, we got the perfect thing for you. We have the perfect thing for you. And they said, what you're going to do is you're going to stay in the back of the room here, and as people come in, you're going to show them where their seats are, and then at the end of the night, you're going <laughs> to clean up the programs and straighten the chairs up and everything before you leave. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, yeah, then and 30 years later, I'm on Gotham. Screw all of you, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, Michael Jordan didn't make his uh, high school basketball team. Right, right, right. So, yes, I, I mean, it gets deep in there, especially if we, and you never, you know, like the thing is, is that, especially as kids, right, we experience things so singularly mm-hmm. because we don't have the perception to understand other things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, who knows what the motivate? Maybe you're the tallest guy. They just needed somebody up there. You know, like there's so yeah, many. Yeah. You you never know what the real motivations were, but what obviously what you internalized, and I think mm-hmm. what a lot of us internalize is that we're not good enough. Right, right. And um, I, I, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, I stepped on you. No, no, no. I mean, that's the point. I mean, that's that's what we carry through. I mean, that's why you know that's why kids of divorce always think it's their fault because they don't understand that things can really operate entirely outside of themselves Mm -hmm. um uh and so we only we can only interpret them in the way that we can and that's always that it it was our fault you know we're not enough or whatever and that's the stuff that's the stuff we have to fight for the rest of our lives yeah yeah and the thing is too is that one thing that a lot of entertainers need to remember because i have another friend of mine who's a comedian who performs up in new york city was um talking about you know her age and, you know, whether you're going to get it or not, you know, the thing, when it comes down to it, funny is funny, talented is talented, the right part oh, is the right part, you know, the right look is the right look, the right character is the right character, no matter how old you are or whenever it happens. I mean, you got to, you know, Rodney Dangerfield, as big as he was um, for all those years, he never really hit it big until he was almost in his 50s. Yeah, it happens yeah. all the time. And, and other that's, a, that, that's another thing that we're, we're internalized. If you if you're not if you haven't made it by 32 in whatever your chosen field is, mm-hmm. you're some sort of failure, which is just ridiculous as a concept. Like mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Exactly, exactly. 
and I and I think too that you, you know somebody like you uh, is probably probably a little more willing and a little more comfortable being a risk taker, uh, considering the things that you'd been through. You know, being in the service and being extremely self reliant and everything. That may be something that comes a little bit easier to you than it may to other people as well. You know. Maybe I think I'm. It's it's funny, like because when when people say like, oh, well, you you take risks and. It's so funny to speaking about like what you're experiencing versus what's objectively happening. Because I worry all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, like uh, my 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 last callback was at eight o'clock for the for the ABC showcase, and my my a girlfriend of mine was like, "Hey, do you want to grab a coffee at like around six? And I was like, "Oh, I can't because my callback's at eight, and at six o'clock, I'm going to be worrying about it." <laughs> so I couldn't possibly do something else but stress about it right then. Right, um, right. Uh, so I like I labor over my decisions. Mm-hmm. Like my, um, I, the decision to quit law school and become an actor was excruciating. Mm-hmm. It was weeks, months, really, but weeks of the hard decision part mm-hmm. of back and forth and and just insecurity and and being so scared. Um. But eventually, I did do it. And the thing is, is that um, it doesn't matter how you show up. You know, you can show up shaking. You can show up crying. You can show up terrified. Mm-hmm. You just have to show up. Right. And 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 the rest, you know, you'll figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, I think it was uh, the wonderful actress that played Princess Leia. What is her name? Carrie Fisher. The wonderful Carrie Fisher said something along the lines of, um, uh, do it before you're ready because you're never going to be ready. Sometimes right. you just got to do it. So, so yes, I, but maybe, maybe it was part of my military experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a saying in the, in the military, my dad was in Vietnam, um, and I was in Afghanistan and in Vietnam, there's a saying, which is, what are they going to do? Send me to Vietnam and same, same in Afghanistan. So I guess, mm-hmm. you know, there might be a, an element of like, you know, it's not Afghanistan. Um, uh, that it that does play part of this thing, but um, but yeah, I mean, I do. You're right. Objectively, from the outside, I am a, I have taken very big risks in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will also say that it was that they were both they were always the scariest things that I did, but also ultimately the most rewarding um, sure. things that I did. Um, even though I never feel like I like I'm a brave person. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm constantly worried and, you know, figuring things out and looking at the details and praying, weighing the pros and cons and stressing about it. But yeah, I will eventually do it. Great. Great. Well, Caitlin, it's been wonderful getting to meet you uh, during this episode, yeah. speaking with you and you know, just talking about different experiences and everything. Best of luck to you with the ABC Discovers Talent Showcase. Thank um, you. We all thank you again. Uh, we all, from the bottom of our hearts, for your service to our country. Oh, thank you. We appreciate you for doing that. You know, Best of luck to you in the future and everything. Who's the greatest talent manager out there in the world? I believe it, was, it is uh, George Ann from CPM Talent Management. George Ann from CPM Talent Management. You will not go wrong, That's my it. friends. <laughs> well, thank you all thank for you so uh, joining us, Caitlin. Thank you for being with us. And everybody, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Foul Players Radio. We'll see you next time.